0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Grace Stories Podcast. I'm your host, Brother Dustin Midkiff. Today we have two wonderful guests uh, whose names we will not call because they're in a sensitive area delivering the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're going to get a little bit of their story starting with uh, their childhood and how they grew up. Uh, one of them is from the good old U.S. of A. The other is not. She is from Europe. And so we're excited to get this conversation underway and learn a little bit today and experience some of God's grace through their amazing story. So welcome, guys. Thank you, Dustin. It's awesome to be here with you. Thank you so much. We really appreciate y'all sitting down with us and getting a little bit of this down. So starting with you, sir, that's what we'll call you, sir.
1: (laughs) Uh, I like that name.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Where were you born?
1: I was born in West Germany. Mm -hmm. My family was uh, military. They became believers and followers of Christ in the late 80s, about a year before I was born. Okay. And so I was born into a, I'll say, a Christian home. Um, my my mom had experiences with Christ early on in her childhood. In fact, she received the baptism of the Holy Spirit when she was 10 years old, uh, in like a children's Bible study. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she didn't really understand, you know, what that was or or what to do with it, until uh, my parents got orders to go to Europe. And my dad was Army for 22 years. And so it was there that one of their neighbors just began to share the gospel with them. And and they received revelation of uh, baptism in Jesus' name. Uh, my dad received the Holy Ghost. Crazy story about that. This was a year before I was born they were at a European conference and they got a report that a man had fallen off of a balcony. Mm-hmm. And I learned later a little bit more of the story. Uh, what happened was the man's wife was not happy that he was going to that conference. And so she locked him in their house. This is a like a European lock. So when you put the key in and you turn the key, you can pull the key out, but there's not a, a like a, like a, uh, a deadbolt, like a lock mm-hmm. that you can manually use. Right. You have to use the key. Yeah. And if the key is taken out, then that's, uh, there's, you're there's, you're stuck. There's no option for you to get out. So he climbed off the balcony of their third story, um, military housing apartment mm-hmm. and tried to go to the second level to get out through that door and ended up falling mm. and nearly died. So they were requesting prayer for him. And my dad was very skeptical. He's, uh, um, he's an engineer, mm-hmm. but he is very skeptical of this whole Holy Spirit business and Jesus can fill you and that kind of thing. So, uh, he's, he kind of made this deal with God. He said, if you're real, if this is all true, heal that man. Yeah. The next day, that man was on the platform, <laughs> worshiping God, <laughs> praising God, completely healed. Yeah. And my dad said, well, this is real. He walked down to the front. Nobody, nobody touched him. Nobody prayed for him. He just threw his hands up in the air, gave his heart to Christ and God filled him with the baptism of the Holy Spirit.
0: That's an incredible story. That, that is God's grace. Amen. That 100%. is, a, that's a grace story. Uh, yeah, I, you know, we've, I think we've all had that moment of doubt, you know, where it's been, you know, God, this is not happening the way I thought it would. And, and maybe if things were different, but God has been merciful, you know, and given us all that opportunity to, uh, uh, to, to experience his grace. And that's what these conversations are all about.
1: Well, and I would say also that if you haven't had that, that crisis of faith, let's say, or that, that moment of maybe, you know, oh, I've been raised this my whole life. I don't know anything different. At some point, you will.
0: Absolutely, you will.
1: You will have this crisis of faith mm-hmm. where you say, is this real? Is this enough to change people's life? Is the gospel? Does the gospel still work? Right. Is it effective? Some of the areas that yeah, some of the areas that we move in and out of, I've been faced with that question, mm-hmm. and I've really had to come and, and be able to answer that. Yes, the yes. gospel still works. Repentance, baptism in Jesus, the name of Jesus is still powerful enough. Oh God, yes. To heal sick, it's still powerful enough to save. It's still powerful enough to deliver. And if you haven't had that crisis of faith, it's going to come. Mm-hmm. But how you handle that, we see so much in media today where so many of these uh, Christian uh, of different professions, maybe they're singers or they're ministers or something, right. and they have some kind of a falling out because they just woke up one day and and, and put out to the world and said, well, I don't believe in God anymore. Yeah. When that time comes, it's important to have close friends that are going to help you to not just understand the faith, not just establish your faith, but to help carry you through that. It's important to have men of God and women of God, pastors in your life that can help navigate through that time of of, of trouble.
0: Yes, absolutely. I completely agree. Uh that's what makes the body of Christ such a beautiful organization and such a beautiful thing is that we lift each other up uh when we're down. So how about you? I know your story is a little different, but what was when I say what was your childhood like as a a Christian living in a different part of the world? What 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 does that make you think of?
2: think of my country absolutely Um, i was born i was born and raised in um in the former soviet union area so i was born during soviet union and then at the age of um four when i was four soviet union broke up so i was growing up more of you know my memories um post-soviet union Mm -hmm. right after soviet union broke broke apart and so um it was a time of a lot of people were open to the gospel, but also a lot of people who really accepted communism and mm. were atheist. So it was really divided like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was also a great opportunity. A lot of, um, I remember a lot of missionaries started pouring mm-hmm. in. Um, we had their earliest memory, at least three or four missionaries in our house when I was a child. Oh, wow. Um. Just because you know the Iron Curtain, whatever they call it, you know, and everything opened up and missionaries started pouring in. But um, starting a, a church, for example, with my dad, that was his dream to uh, start a church in the in the capital of our country because there was no Oneness Church at all. Right. Um, so him starting a church, a lot of people accepted it. Um, a lot of people would literally spit in his face as he would he would oh, try wow. to uh, give him the gospel because that was a strange um, time to yeah. be growing up in. Um, but a little bit of um, my story is um, fourth generation wow. apostolic. Uh, my great-grandfather came to the Lord during Soviet Union, uh, was beaten to death for his faith. Uh, wow. My grandfather my grandmother um, on my dad's side— Um, raised seven children during that hard time and he had to be um because he would and i shared a little bit in church Mm -hmm. but uh, because he would take his children to church and and because of how involved he was um with the church they wouldn't give him his pay Mm -hmm. um they wouldn't receive salary for many months so um they went to work he went to work in the mines um Where was it? Yeah, in Central Asia. In Central Asia. Mm. Um, And the mine actually collapsed on him. Oh, wow. And he pushed all of his coworkers out of the way, but it uh, collapsed on him and literally skinned his back and um, crushed his... Um, his side so he limped for the rest of his life but even mm. him al- being alive from that is mm. a giant testimony for sure there's so many testimonies in my yeah. family really of everybody surviving and living through that and serving the lord um and then my my dad of course um my dad and mom uh also growing up in the soviet union my mom's family her um her grandpa also had to be hidden from From the police, Mm -hmm. they actually dug a hole in their floor in the living room, and they hid him in the floor and covered it with the baseboards, and they would just open it up like in the middle of the night or something, give him some food and cover it because they were hiding him. He was heavily persecuted also for his faith. So coming from that background, you know, um, and a lot of times my husband will tell me that I need to share more of my story as well, Mm -hmm. but, you know... After realizing what my parents went through hiding Bibles and beehives from the KGB oh, wow. and um, just so many amazing stories, I feel like what I went through growing up in post-Soviet Union is really not a lot. And to me it's like, I don't know, it's not significant to me. And yeah. I and for my parents and for my grandparents, not you know when they share their stories, my grandparents when they shared their stories, they passed away now. but my parents when they share, it's not a big deal. Yeah. We love the Lord. This is what we had to do and, and that's it. There's no more discussion about it. It's not a big sacrifice. It was just we love the Lord. Yeah. Um so for me growing up post Soviet Union, um there was a lot of mockery mm-hmm. but I was never physically beaten or, mm-hmm. you know, anything like that. There's just a lot of mockery going through through school. Um my my um History teacher was big, just atheist, and uh, he was really involved in a communist party during Soviet Union. I, I think it was like sixth or seventh grade. Um, he he knew, of course. I came from a large family, uh, eight children, and he, so most of my siblings were in that school. Everybody knew right. us. <laughs> yeah,
0: so no getting away from it.
2: Everybody knew us, uh, and. One time, he just, I don't know, I think he was really bitter Soviet Union broke apart. He was really bitter that the Christians were free now or whatever, and he just uh, asked me to stand up in front of the class, and he just mocked me for the rest of the class. Mm-hmm. So the whole the whole class, instead of teaching us history, um, he just stood me up in front of the class and mocked me, mocked my family, mocked my parents, and, you know, whatever um of course as a child that was
0: traumatic traumatic
2: traumatic, um but my mom is i call her uh, a little bit of mafia (laughs) 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 she came and uh right after that i called her and she came and um she talked to him because you know he he mocked my mom a lot as well Mm. so that was not pleasant so she came, and she showed him what a Christian woman looks like after <laughs> having eight children as well. And his jaw just dropped, and she said, You want to talk about Christ? Let's talk about Christ. Let's yeah. talk about Christian families. And, um, you know, it wasn't pleasant to go through that, but he got to uh, meet my parents and have a conversation with believers. So maybe maybe that was a good thing.
0: <laughs> Let's hope it was worth it all. Yes. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so that's... Um, that's my
0: childhood. And that's, you know, I'm certain maybe there's somewhere in the United States that somebody can relate to that, having been, you know, made an example of in school or whatever. Yeah. But that's wild to me. And I was born and raised in the Bible Belt. And so to think of someone doing that, well, you get punched probably around here because you just don't treat people that way. But it's a different place and certainly a different time. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, you don't need my commendations, but I, I think of that as something that that is definitely commendable, you know, to be able to withstand through that, not only withstand through that, but to want to bring the gospel to other people like that, you know, that to me is just incredible.
2: Yeah, the big, you know, testimony or, I don't know, testimony or whatever other people may call it is that. Uh, the Lord brought us out, brought my family out of that, and now He, He called me to closed mm-hmm. areas like that. Um, and it's just, I believe that, that prepared me a lot, mm-hmm. that prepared me and my husband, um for us to even listen to my parents' stories and to learn, uh, tips and tricks <laughs> on <laughs> how to lots. operate in, in these areas, how to, <clears throat> smuggle things um <laughs> religious material as i mean yes ma'am <laughs> um but how to operate in these areas that has prepared us a lot
0: yes ma'am it's it's such a tremendous um pairing i think i, I honestly the first thing i remember about you uh, the first time i was in lufkin that day that you guys came and i don't even remember why it was there but you're like i have somebody i want you to meet and walking up, I was like, oh, yeah, that works. When I met y'all, I was like, oh, yeah, that works. Yeah. It's like I can, it's a connection that I can't explain, but it works. And I was thinking about that uh, in relation to somebody else that goes to church here yesterday. I was like, oh, yeah, it works. When you see somebody together, and I think about what you guys have been able to accomplish and what you guys are doing over there, it's only through the grace of God and the fact that you found each other. Amen. From thousands of miles apart, you know, that that to me is just remarkable. And it's it's further proof of God's grace, if you ask me. So would you, you started to say, yeah, something. yeah, I
1: want to add something to this, because I was born in West Germany mm-hmm. during the Soviet Union. We were there in Germany when the wall came down in 1989. Had the Soviet Union never collapsed, we never would have met. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. It's such a crazy I mean, we thing were, to think of. We were growing up on either side of that wall.
0: That is insane.
1: Yep.
2: <laughs> but when we, when we met, really, so we, we met, for, for those uh, who don't know us, we met at end of January, and we got married July 31st mm-hmm. of the same year. We literally dated for like six
3: days
4: (laughs)
2: before he proposed, but, um, it was the missions calling that really, I mean, we were attracted to each other. Let's, you know, um, there was that, that's very important, but the missions calling, um, I was 10 or 11 when I told, um, the missionary to our country, um, I told him that I wanted to be a missionary Mm -hmm. and I didn't speak any English at that point, mm-hmm. or you know, <laughs> really didn't know much about America or anything like that. Um, and he just kind of pat me on the on the back and said, "Okay, good girl," you know. Mm-hmm. And then, so when my I met my husband I told him I will be a missionary Mm -hmm. I don't know what you want to (laughs) do this is what's happening yeah and you know he confirmed he's calling as well to to missions and he already had a visa to a country in his passport because he was planning to take a trip so um that really kind of sealed the deal and I don't know that was a really god connection it was um, because we felt like we knew each other for a really long time. It was yeah. just a gut thing, yeah, so when we got married, it wasn 't like I married a stranger, it just I felt like I 've known him for a really long time, but I guess that 's how God works, <laughs> it
0: is you know, and I remember him telling me the story of how how he met you or what have you, and you know, at the time I had not met my wife, we only dated for nine months before i we got married, yeah. you know, which is a suspicious time, but trust me, there was nothing behind <laughs> the, nothing going on behind the scenes there. <laughs> Uh, but we just—I just knew, yeah. you know—and yes. I can understand that you look like you had something to say.
1: Yeah, you know, when when God confirms callings, I think it's easier to understand. I think there's a lot of people that try to say, "Well, who who's who's the right person for me?" Mm-hmm. Well, I can tell you real quick who's not the right person for you. <laughs> but you can't—I don't believe you can really truly understand who is compatible. With you, with your life, with your ministry, with your lifestyle. If you don't understand what God has called you to do, right now, it seems like in and I went to seminary, same as you did. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of young ladies who it seemed like their calling was well. When I meet my husband, whatever his calling is, yeah, I have a little bit of problem with that mm-hmm. because I said the problem is his calling may be to go to somewhere that's access challenge his his. His calling may be to go somewhere where it's not legal Mm -hmm. to share the gospel of Christ. It's not legal to have Bibles and religious materials and things like that. And if that if that is only His calling, and you're just going to follow Him, for some people, maybe that works. But better for you to get a call, Mm -hmm. better for you to understand where God's called you to be. Mm -hmm. And then when you meet someone and they share that same calling... Whether it's to be a missionary, whether it's to be a pastor, whether it's to be a business person Mm -hmm. or in in medical or law or whatever that profession looks like that God has called you to serve in, that you both are able to do it with excellence and with compatibility.
0: Absolutely. I, I could not agree more. And the biggest, you know, one of the biggest problems I see with people rushing into, you know, a marriage or what have you, uh, is that you don't know yourself sometimes. It's like you, you have to know yourself and you have to have an established relationship with God for you to even know if it's his will. Yeah. And if you're rushing things, you know, and if you're, and, and then sometimes like what we were talking about, it doesn't take long to know sometimes. So I'm not saying that everyone's rushing it. But what I'm saying is if you don't understand God's plan for your life, how can you know if it's compatible with somebody else? Yes. How can you know if you're even walking the same road, yes. you know, because those paths will eventually diverge if not, and you'll find yourself resentful of each other. Because you're not going to the same place anymore. Exactly. exactly. You know? So I think that's, that's very key. That's one of the best advice you could have laid down on this thing today, really, in all honesty. But I know you had a, a remarkable story happen to you when you were a baby and another one when you were a teenager. There were miraculous things that had happened. Uh, would you mind sharing those stories with us?
1: Yeah. So, again, as I mentioned, I was born in Germany. My family lived there for three years. I was just about a year old when uh, we went to midweek Bible study there at the uh, the military church that we attended as a family and I just I, I, I got real sick, started vomiting there and, and uh, started to get a little bit of a fever, and my parents took me home, changed clothes, get cleaned up. You know, first, they took me to get prayed for by the mm-hmm. pastors and, and then yeah. took me home and and uh, gave some Tylenol and then put me down for the night, and in a couple hours later, uh, I, uh, I woke up, and the temperature had increased, and now it was um, close to 104 degrees Fahrenheit, mm-hmm. and my mom really began to be concerned at this point, so she took me to the uh, military clinic, the children's clinic, uh, not the children's cl- I'm sorry, the military clinic there on the base, and uh, they was, She was seven months pregnant with my sister at mm-hmm. the time. They said, you're just over-anxious, pregnant lady. Mm-hmm. Baby's fine. Uh, just give him some Tylenol and take him home. She said, I already did that. She said, wake up the, um, uh, wake up the doctor and have him called in. Again, military, so <laughs> anybody listening with a military background, they're going to understand this. Uh, yeah. He did not want to be woke up in the yeah. middle of the night, and certainly not for this. But uh, they brought him in. And then they started to do testing on me, and they they realized something was severely wrong when they stuck me four times to draw blood, and I didn't wake up. Mm-hmm. So they decided to initiate a spinal tap. They did that. It came back that I, it was positive for meningitis. Mm-hmm. And you have to forgive me, I don't remember the exact type of meningitis, but... Um, my understanding was at that time they did not give any kind of a, an inoculation, uh, inoculation against English either, <laughs> an inoculation to children that were uh, that young. Yeah. And so uh, they they diagnosed me with the meningitis. They said we're not set up here at the military clinic to deal with something like this. We need to transfer you to the German Children's Hospital in Heidelberg. So as they did that, something happened in the transfer. Somebody messed something up, and too much IV fluid was administered, Mm. and it caused my brain to swell. Okay. So on top of having the meningitis, now my brain's swelling. Um, They started ambuing me, which is where they put the mask over your face and and start pumping it to give oxygen, Uh, and I went into a grand mal seizure Mm. that lasted uh, for several minutes. Doctors came in and uh, began to counsel my parents. They said, we've done everything we can do. We can't get him out of the seizure. Mm -hmm. Um, It's uh, it's too late. We need a miracle at this point. Another doctor came in and said, listen, uh, you need to understand the severity of the situation. Your son is gone. We've Mm -hmm. lost him. Um, If there's some miracle that he pulls out of this and survives he's going to be a vegetable. Mm-hmm. He's now been more than 12 minutes without oxygen to his brain. And so to give some perspective of that, hold your breath <laughs> for 12 minutes and see what the, don't, yeah. don't do that. Don't hold your breath for 12 minutes. But, <laughs> but uh, after about six minutes, yeah. uh, brain and uh, cognitive um, uh, ability begins to recess drastically. And, and in many cases, your brain dead within six minutes. And, so they uh, they begin to counsel my parents, and they said, "If if he does live, he's, he'll be a vegetable. He'll he'll be able to move his eyes around, but mm-hmm. he'll never be able to walk. He'll never be able to function. Um, but just prepare yourself that he, he's going to die." Mm-hmm. And to hear my mom tell this story, she's a brand new believer mm-hmm. in Jesus and in, in, in her faith and. And she said she distinctly heard the voice of God speak to her at that moment and said, what are you going to do now? Mm. Her reply back in prayer was, Lord, if he lives, I'm going to serve you. And if he dies, I'm still going to serve Mm. you. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. She said at that moment... Machines started beeping and things started to go up. Nurses came flying in from all over the place, and I came out of that seizure. Mm-hmm. The total time of that seizure was 13 and a half minutes. They began to see some progress uh, in that at least I didn't die. Yeah. But the doctor's predictions were correct that all I could do was lay there and move my eyes. So my parents requested that I be transferred back to the military hospital. Uh, on the base because they did not speak German and they just felt more comfortable having. So they, they transferred me back. And after a couple of weeks I was able to go home mm-hmm. again. They carried me out. Uh, I was nearly a year old at this point and, and they, they carried me out and I, I had no use of my arms, my legs, my, I had no motor skills, nothing. Yeah. Just moved my eyes. And my mom said about three weeks after this ordeal, she was washing dishes in our military apartment uh, there in Mannheim, Germany, and she turned around. She heard some noise behind her. She turned around, and I had stood up in my playpen and was <laughs> holding on to the side. And she was just beside herself, of course, just crying and rejoicing, praising God that you know I wasn't even supposed to be able to get up and and move and do yeah. anything. And so later that week, they took me back to the doctor to get further testing. And the doctor's test, they said this is truly a miracle, he's moving around, but let's, let's do some tests. They did test, and they came back and said, he's, he's completely deaf. His baby cannot hear anything. Mm-hmm. But my parents believed that the same God who started the work would finish it. And so, again, they prayed the prayer of faith, they called the elders of the church, they anointed with oil again, and they prayed. The next week, they took me back, and... The doctors came back and said we we must have had a problem with the equipment the first go around. This baby's completely fine. Wow! I had to relearn the motor skills. Yeah, I had to uh, redevelop. You know, however developed a, an eleven month old baby is. Yeah. at that point, but God completely restored all the cognitive function. All mm. of the uh, he did all of this. In fact, um, years later. As I finished up, uh, I was 10 years a Bible quizzer. Yeah. I went to seminary at multiple uh, universities. And, and and I share all of that, not to not to show myself as some great anything, but I've committed more than 5,000 Bible verses to memory. That's mm-hmm. not possible for a baby yeah. that has gone through all I don't know that. any vegetables that do that. It's, it's not possible, <laughs> right? It, but, but yet... When God steps in in the middle of a situation Mm -hmm. and when God says, I've got a call, I've got a plan, I've got a purpose, Mm -hmm. there's something more for you to do with your life, Mm -hmm. and I'm not done yet, Mm -hmm. then it doesn't matter what the doctors say. It doesn't matter what what the medical profession gives as their expertise. What matters is when Jesus steps in, Mm -hmm. everything's changed. And and through all of that in fact i've been able to share that testimony in many countries closed countries around the world with people who do not believe mm-hmm. in jesus as the son of god or much less god revealed in flesh and and when i share with them that jesus still does these miracles yeah jesus it's not just from a storybook years back in a a, a book that christians call the new testament <laughs> it still happens today uh and in fact uh, i'm i'm, I'm going to share this i was in one family's home this was just a couple years ago and uh, the mom was sharing with me that uh, her favorite prophet that she knew about was moses mm-hmm. and and her daughter said uh, well my my favorite prophet is jesus
3: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> and i i looked at them both and i said oh Jesus is my favorite prophet too. And I kind of lowered my voice and I said, you know, sometimes I pray to Jesus and he does miracles and there's no way he does that. I said, yeah. And I told them, I shared this story with them. Mm -hmm. I said, that was me when I was just a little baby and look what Jesus did for me. I'm here talking to you right now because of what Jesus did. Mm -hmm. And the mom looks at me and says, you know, My daughter has really terrible uh, migraine headaches that come over her. And they last for two or three days. And the fear that comes over her is just paralyzing. And and it's it's, it's horrible. Do you think Jesus could heal her? (laughs) And I said, you know what? I don't know. But we can ask. We can ask. (laughs) Let's find out. And we prayed the prayer of faith in Jesus' name. I was just with them about three or four weeks ago. I was back in their home. And the mom pulled me aside and said, my daughter has not had a headache since that day that you prayed. And the fear has completely left her. She said, we love Jesus now. Teach us about Jesus. Oh,
0: my goodness. That's incredible. You know, and that's the reason God does what he does. You know, the reason for the healing is so you'll know him. You know, it's to bring us back into relationship with him. You know, and I often question why we don't see it more in the American church, and and I think a lot of it, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, is that we have too many options, and we run to those options first. That's true. You know, we have this old song, and I love the old song, but to me the the theology is backwards. when you tried everything and everything's failed, try Jesus. When the reality is it should be the opposite. Before you try everything else and it has an opportunity to fail, why don't we try Jesus? You know, and
2: parents growing up, that was you know that was their their only option. Right. You pray first. Yes. And then you do anything else because you can't depend on the police, on the government, on the medical. Mm -hmm. I mean, everybody hated. Yeah. Anybody believer, (laughs) you know, Christians. Um. It was, you know, in our in our passports, for example, uh, it would state our our nationality. Mm -hmm. So. Even if you were from, uh, if you were born and raised in that country, it didn't matter if your nationality is something else. That was in your passport. But beside that, also, it would say believer. So it didn't matter where you went, you know, on your passport, whatever, on your documents, it would say that. And so they always had to pray first. And um, my husband and I got married, you know, in the States, and uh, we had our first baby, and he got really sick. He was only a few weeks old he got really sick and i and i called my mom and i was crying because he was he was having a hard time breathing mm-hmm. and i had to call 911 and my mom said well did you pray i said he can't breathe I said, she said you should have prayed first what do you mean you called 911 first <laughs> but you know and uh, my parents really taught me you pray first mm-hmm. Yeah, you don't, you don't try everything else first and then run to Jesus. Yeah. You pray first, and God gives you direction, and he gives you wisdom. Do you call the doctors or do you not? Yeah. You know, um, there's so many stories tied to that that I can just go on all day. But, yeah, you try Jesus first.
0: Try him first. It's amazing to me. You know, we, we sing that song, Jesus, at the center of it all. And if our life is truly centered on Christ— then he should be equidistant from everything in our lives, because he's the center of everything. And he shouldn't at no point should he be any further than the mention of his name. Yes. And if he is, then there's a problem. You know, and, and that's something that I began to contemplate the other day. If my life is truly centered on you, God, why do you feel so distant sometimes? Well, he hasn't moved. Yeah. His word is still the same you know, his expectation of me is still the same. So if he seems far away, which one of us moved? It has to be me. And he has to no longer be at this center where he belongs to be. Yeah. He's no longer enthroned in my life. Mm-hmm. And if he's not enthroned in my life, I cannot expect him to be sovereign over every situation that I will not invite him in. Yeah. So I think about that's where we have to get as a as a As a Christian church, as a movement, we have to get where he's the center of everything. If nothing else happens and Jesus is pleased, that's all that matters. If nothing else gets done, but he gets worshipped and he gets appreciated and he gets loved, then we've served our purpose because that is our purpose. And, you know, we will see what God will do if we ever get back there, if we can get back to that point where he's truly center of everything. And I firmly believe that. When you were living in Europe, did you get a chance to experience the miraculous like that? I'm sure you did.
2: uh, just in my family, there's so, so many testimonies. Um, I mean, even in the States with our our baby, but also um, growing up in the former Soviet Union and and my parents in the Soviet Union. Um, So I can share two testimonies. Sure, go ahead. Of my sister, for example. She was number six. Um, she was born still during Soviet Union so she was after me I'm number 5, she's number 6 and she was born barely 2 years after I was born and the doctor just hated Christians <laughs> so for, for Christian ladies giving birth with communism, atheist doctors was extremely hard they would be kicked and beaten and they didn't care if you got attention on time Anyway there was there were so many challenges. Um, my mom worked as an EMT um, as a they would call a nurse on the ambulance I, um, at that time and um, they went they responded to a call. she was 26 weeks pregnant with my sister. They responded to a call and there was a man several flights up. And, do, you know, if you know anything about the former Soviet Union area or Europe, most of the times our elevators don't work. Uh, so, <laughs> so, you know, uh, they, they had to go up, which is fine, um, up the stairs. But then the man was passed out and they had to carry him downstairs. Yeah. And um, she was told, you pick him up <laughs> because, um, well, you're the lowest of the low. You're, mm-hmm. you're a Christian didn't matter if she was 26 weeks pregnant. Yeah. And so um, her and somebody else went to pick up that man who was heavy and carry him, and that sent her into labor. Mm. Um, so 26 weeks, you know, here in the States, we got all the equipment. Uh, my sister went into labor at 26 weeks here in the States. And, and of course, they can give you shots, and they can... Uh, even if the baby's born, they can give all the equipment and put them in the incubator and breathing machine, and there's so many things here. Well, my mom going into labor, um, the doctor gave her um, pills to kill the baby mm. um, for her to actually abort the baby yeah. instead of stop the labor, which she wasn't communicated that, but she swallowed all those pills, um, and miraculously, my sister survived. She gave birth to my sister. And she gave birth to my sister and the doctor in the birthing room he said um, basically this is an, just another believer baby another Christian baby and we got enough Christian babies in the world so uh, he picked up my sister who was um, uh, about a pound I think mm. I believe barely a pound and so he picked her up and um, it's just a tiny little thing, and he didn't swaddle her. He didn't put her in incubator. He didn't put her on a breathing machine, nothing. He just picked her up, and he put her on the window, on the windowsill. Mm. And it was a cold. Um, it was November, so it's a cold winter in, in my country. And um,
4: <laughs> there you go. It's a cold
2: winter in my country. And he commended everybody in that room, um, all the nurses. And he said, if you, if you help that mother, you will be fired. Mm-hmm. If you help that child or that mother, you will be fired. And um, everybody had exited the room. And, of course, my mom just gave birth, so she's pretty helpless. But she prayed. My mom mm-hmm. just knew, you pray. Mm-hmm. And so she just started praying, and she said, um, God, you need to help me. And you need to tell me if that child is going to live or not. And if she's going to live, you need to show me. If she's going to die, you need to show me. I just need to know. And she had a dream or a vision of uh, my sister in the future. So she had a a dream of um, a girl with dark hair, you know, and running around and laughing. And so she was confident. This is what God said. This is what's going to happen. My child is going to live. And my sister was breathing on her own at that point. <laughs> um, that child was alive on that windowsill, yeah. just living. And a nurse walked in, and she just said, I, I know your family. She wasn't Christian at that point, but she just said, I, I know your family. I know you're a good family. And so all she did was wrap my s- sister, um, and then she just put her under a table lamp to keep her somewhat warm. Oh, wow. But that was it. All that's She said, that's all I can do for you. Um, my sister breathing on her own, living on her own, I mean, with God's miraculous power. Um, but the next day, my mom decided they want to kill me and my child here. I'm running away. Mm-hmm. So she called my dad and she said, pick me up. I believe she wasn't even wearing <laughs> shoes. She literally grabbed my sister and ran barefoot outside of wow. the hospital and, and left. And the, the next day, the ambulance and with doctors showed up at the house. And now they're concerned that the hospital can get in trouble, Yeah, that she's missing. Um, They're not concerned that they were trying to kill the child. Yeah. How ironic. Yes. Um, But, you know, and there was another pediatrician showed up. And the lady pediatrician, she looked over my sister and she gave her like over 30 diagnoses of what was wrong with her. Mm -hmm. That her head was, um, I don't remember the the medical term for it, but basically your brain swells up and your Mm -hmm. head grows, but your body stays small. And she wasn't going to live past three months maybe. And if she did Mm -hmm. live, she would scream and they would wish she was dead and, you know, a vegetable. Mm -hmm. And my mom said thank you and she shut the door and she said i'm not going to the hospital i'm not going back to the hospital thank you very much and she shut the door you know i commend my mother for um standing on the word of god yeah you know god gives us a word for his for our lives and he speaks it and sometimes when those waves around us start crashing we start forgetting Mm um forgetting what the Lord said, but God is firm on his word. Mm-hmm. He's he's faithful in his word. Amen. And so my mom stood on that and she said, "I know what God showed me. My child is going to live and she's not going to be a vegetable." So she just put my sister in a separate room from the rest five of us. <laughs> <laughs> you know, she she just kept her in a separate room and she said, "I would just feed her and Up until her due date, she would just sleep and eat, sleep and eat. Mm -hmm. And she said around her due date, she started waking up more. She started acting, you know, more like a normal newborn. Mm -hmm. And um, she started developing just like a normal child and, you know, talking, walking like every other normal child. And uh, she was about two years old when they went back to that pediatrician's office Mm -hmm. Um, and that was the first time they ever saw my sister. Because as far as they were concerned, she was dead. Right. They've never seen her. My mom didn't yeah. take her for any appointments, for any shots or anything else. Right. Um, so she was about two when she took her back. And she walked in with my sister. And my mom said, it's like the Holy Ghost came <laughs> over your sister. Because she just started running around and laughing and <laughs> speaking and you know, the pediatrician started kind of putting the two and two together, realizing who that child was. Yeah. And she said, all she said was, that is not that child. Yeah. My mom said, that is that child. And she was just speechless, taking off her glasses and putting them back on, and she yeah. didn't have words to say. But she grabs my mom and my sister, and she walked her around that hospital and passed that doctor, atheist doctor, who wanted to kill my sister. And she kept saying, look what her God did for her. Look what mm. her God did for her. Wow. Um, so that was a giant testimony on only depending on God. Yeah. And truly, God is all we need. You yes. know, God says you're either going to live or you're going to come be with me or yeah. whatever his will is for our lives. It is the perfect will of God. And He's faithful in his word.
0: Absolutely. He is. Uh, that is an incredible story. I mean,
2: she's she's married, living in California <laughs> with two beautiful children. So, yes.
0: so it worked out. <laughs> yeah, it worked out. It worked out. That is just incredible. Uh, I want to say insane, but it's not when you understand the plan of God. Um, you know, he says, for I know the plans I have for you. You yes. know, there was already a plan in place. And we're just as, as humans, we're just so ignorant sometimes that we fail to see. Yes. You know, but that is an incredible story. And I appreciate you sharing it.
2: No problem. When um, our son was um, sick, like I shared, uh, we were in the hospital, and I remember the doctor, he was sick, they kind of sent us home because they thought he was recovered, Then we were back at the hospital, and I remember sitting in that room, and the doctor said we're going to be in the hospital for another two weeks of antibiotics and all of that, and um, our baby was barely six weeks at that time, so seeing your child go through all that, and I guess in desperation, we all go through that. Um, and I sat there, and I was praying, and I said, I cannot do two more weeks of this, God. And I cannot watch my child go through that. And at that moment, because the doctor said, there's no other way. this mm-hmm. You will stay at the hospital. And God, at that moment, spoke to me, and he said, I have a million and one ways to solve a problem when you can't think of one. <laughs> and I said, you know what? Okay, God,
0: mm-hmm.
2: I trust you. You know better. The next day we were discharged from the hospital.
0: My God. What would we see if we trusted him? Amen. What would we see if we turned him loose? Yes. And and took him out of the box we put him in so often? You know, I'm guilty of saying a lot when I preach. A God that has got borders is not a God worth serving. I don't serve a God with borders. I serve a God who knows no boundaries and he has resources in eternity that I cannot fathom because if he doesn't, then there's going to come a limit to his power and I could potentially be lost beyond his grace. But if I trust him to have all of those resources, then he can do the miraculous in my life. But it it comes at the cost of faith. You have to have faith. You know, you're going to have to accept something on faith. You know, I I have to accept on faith that my car is going to crank when I go out there. We live on faith whether we realize it or not. What better place to put it than a God who has never failed Mm -hmm. and cannot fail?
1: I want to add on to what you're saying there Mm -hmm. about faith. For, I mean, for many years, I always considered a contrast to faith to be doubt.
3: Mm Mm-hmm. And I think
1: most people do. You know, mm-hmm. what's the opposite of faith? There's doubt. But you really think about doubt, you have to have a little bit of faith to have doubt. Right. Over the years, working in some of the areas that I've worked in, uh, I'm not sure that doubt would be the best contrast to faith. But I want to challenge us, maybe control <laughs> is a better contrast to faith. Yeah. Because if I truly have faith... In my Creator, mm-hmm. the one who started this whole thing. If I truly can put my trust in my faith in a God who says that He loves me with no borders, mm-hmm. like you're saying. If I can truly put my, then I, I, I'm going to give up control. Mm-hmm. I'm going to stop trying to fix things my way mm-hmm. and the way I think things ought to go, and I'm going to put it into God's hands and say. God, I trust you, mm-hmm. and I relinquish that control. And I believe that would probably be a better uh, <laughs> example of faith yeah. is when we completely release control, put that in the hands of God, and allow God to do what he does best, yeah. and that's be God. Be
0: God. Absolutely, I could not agree more. That, that's, that's sheer brilliance. You know, I think about... Uh, like I say, bumping up against the border is something that he cannot do. Then what do I do in a moment like that? But I'll be honest with you, 36 years of living, I've never bumped up on a border yet. You know, I've been where I had no answers many times. I've been where I didn't have a way out. But all it took was turning and saying, God, I'm out. I'm out. I'm tapped out. I don't have anything. And God said, okay, watch me. You watch what I will do, and it, I know you guys, being where you are and doing what you do, you have to rely on God. Yeah, because the choice. Yeah, the help isn't coming from anywhere else. <laughs> no. Exactly. We don't have a choice. Yeah, you were mentioning that to me the other night about you have to believe in the supernatural and believe in angels and this and that and the other because it's the only way the gospel gets propagated in a place like that. Because. If he doesn't do the work, and I think about you, we we so often rely on programs and this, that, now that I'm not condemning programs, but really, Mm -hmm. when it all comes down to it, if anybody builds the house but God, it's going to fail. If anybody builds it but Him, if it's built around anything but Him, it's destined to fail.
1: And I want to add on to that. <laughs> I like to add. <laughs> Math was never my good subject. I'm going to add. In, in this kind of, of situation, this kind of environment like you're talking about, letting God be God, letting God build the house, letting God take control, letting mm-hmm. God, he said he's not going to share his glory with another.
0: Absolutely not.
1: In fact, I've taught this in, in many times. One of the fastest things that'll get you kicked out of the presence of God is pride,
0: mm-hmm. taking credit for something you didn't do.
1: Exactly. If you don't believe me? Ask Lucifer.
0: Mm-hmm. It's real fast.
1: Mm-hmm. God does not tolerate well mm-hmm. when someone or something tries to take the glory that belongs to Him.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, I've I've taught this also with many of our underground believers that sometimes there's questions like, well. I asked God to do something Mm -hmm. for me. And he didn't do it. Mm -hmm. So, what? God's mad at me now? Mm -hmm. Well, there's some problem? It's not necessarily. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Maybe. But not necessarily. (laughs) (laughs) I challenged him with this. Jesus said, An evil and an adulterous generation seek after a sign. Mm -hmm. Okay? Real quick. The difference between a sign and a wonder. A sign is given for the unbeliever. Mm -hmm. A wonder... Is something that happens that may be also a sign, but it helps, it, it tears down Satan's kingdom at mm-hmm. the same time. Right. Look at the ten plagues of Egypt. Yeah. Some of those were just signs, some of them were wonders. Mm-hmm. They destroyed parts of an evil kingdom.
0: And their worship, parts of their worship.
1: Exactly. Mm-hmm. And so you see this uh, throughout Scripture. Jesus is not looking for his followers, his believers, to be seeking after a sign. Mm-hmm. God, if you're real, I need you to heal me mm-hmm. every time I'm sick. Yeah. And so I challenged our believers. And now this is going to take a leap of faith for a lot of people. What if God wants you to go through this because he wants to show his glory? Mm-hmm. Right? And the disciples ran into this. They said, well, who sinned? this man or his parents? Mm-hmm. Jesus says, Neither. Yeah, in, in the Gospel of John, that neither, but that the glory of God could be manifest, that it could be shown here. What if what you're going through, God just wants to receive the glory for it? Yeah, and if we can wrap our minds around this, that hey, instead of making Jesus my last resort, mm-hmm. instead of using oh, using the grace of God as my License Mm -hmm. to do whatever it is I want to do. Grace is your teacher. Mm -hmm. Right? Titus chapter 2, verse 11 says that the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Mm -hmm. Verse 12, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. If grace is teaching you, let it teach you that God wants his glory shown. Mm -hmm. When God heals you of your headache, it's not just because he says, Oh, you know, I, I just felt bad for you today and hope you feel better. Mm-hmm. It's not a luck of a draw. It's God wants to do something in you and through you to make his glory known. Absolutely. To make his presence manifest in the earth. And we do ourselves and we do the kingdom of God a disservice. When God does a miracle and we just keep it all to ourselves mm-hmm. and. Well, I appreciate God you you healing I appreciate you doing this miracle but but I'm shy and mm-hmm. I don't want to tell anybody about it mm-hmm. I don't believe for a minute that God healed me when I was a baby or God healed her sister when she, or, or her she didn't even share about her story of how God healed her all these miracles that we've seen what that's just so we could uh, sit around and talk and, and, and eat potato chips and, and visit and drink Coke. And, Feel
0: and, a goosebump every once in a while,
1: and and everybody clap their hands and get excited, and and then go about our same life in our same way. No, God wants to use as He shows His glory. Mm-hmm. He wants to use these, but He depends on His body. Yes, He He's not going to work without His body. Mm-mm. In fact, a, a a dear friend of mine shared a, a, several years ago about a dream that he had, where he said. In his dream, he saw the Spirit of God moving from house to house in a town. And the Spirit of God was getting so frustrated. And he said, He said, God, why are you so frustrated? Why is your spirit so frustrated? He said, Because everywhere I'm going in this town, I can't find a body. Mm-hmm. I can't find my body. Yeah. I can't and, and he wants to work through his body, but but that takes us realizing that what God wants to do, this this grace of God is teaching me and developing me and leading me. It's because God wants to show this to the whole earth. Absolutely. And anytime we keep it to ourselves, we're not giving God the glory. Oh no. That he deserves.
0: That's absolutely right. What was the point of his purchase? What was the point of redeeming us so that he could redeem others with our story? The whole point of this podcast, grace stories is to show that God's grace is still active love it and that his his miraculous power still works you know and that it's for everybody i don't care if you live in timbuktu i don't care if you live down the street God.
1: Shout out to those of you in timbuktu
0: <laughs> yeah timbuktu i've never been there
1: <laughs> nor have
0: <am> i <laughs> but if you live down the street I want people to know this is a place where you can come and you can experience God's grace. And I don't care how ugly your story is. 100%. I don't care how, what the doctor has said. I don't care what the lawyer told you. I don't care what your spouse said about, you know, your marriage being irreparably broken. Whatever the situation is, we serve a God who is a master at putting things back together that were broken. I know because he did it to me. And that's the whole point of these conversations is to show he still does it. You know, miracles, signs, wonders, those are not things of the past. Those are things available to the church today. And I'm sorry if that busts your theology up. Mm -hmm. But if it's if it offends you, it's because you're serving a dead God. Mm -hmm. And you're serving a God with boundaries. Mm -hmm. And I refuse to do that. I refuse to serve a God who has boundaries. Mm -hmm. You know, I was reading the other day and this may be a little bit of a tangent, but I'm really famous for those, uh, that the universe is expanding at a rapid rate, and science doesn't know why. They're like, we can't explain why, we just know it is. It's because they they deny it. It's even in the word they use, universe, single-spoken sentence. Mm-hmm. It's because the power of God knows no limits, so when his creative power is put out there, yeah. it cannot be contained, and so it's ever-growing. Yeah. If he did it for the disciples, why on earth wouldn't he do it now? Yes. If he did it on Paul's missionary journeys, why can't he do it with the two of you now? Yeah. And what we have to do as a as a body of believers here in the United States is get behind people like y'all. And wherever you are going, whether you can talk about it or not, whether I ever know what's done or not, And just trust that God is doing the work that needs to be done. He is adding into the church such as should be saved. Whether I get to be a direct part of that or not. Because he doesn't know any boundaries. And way over there where you guys are, he still doesn't know any boundaries. And right here in Leesville, Louisiana, he still doesn't know any boundaries. He still has nothing that he cannot do. And he's never failed. Never fail me one. I'll quit preaching now. Sorry.
1: Oh, that gets me excited. Oh, bro. oh it that does me, me too. I,
0: I just feel preach up in this house right now. I can't help yeah, it. I
1: tell you what. You start talking about faith. You start talking about miracles. You start talking about, and I, I believe you start talking about it. Faith gets released. Yes. And and I, I mean, I've told people this for years. When faith collides with praise, mm, you can always expect the miraculous.
0: Oh, it's going to happen.
1: Always. You,
0: you've turned. You've given God the vehicle now through which he can do the miraculous when you praise him. Why did he put Judah out front when they went to war? Why was Judah the first thing the enemy got to see? Because they got to hear what God did long before the battle ever started. And so when you you hook up, like you said, praise with faith, you are letting the enemy know you've been served a warrant, and your time here is done. What's fixing to happen is God's fixing to do what only God can do. And it's good, that's good stuff. I don't care who you are. It's good I stuff right it. there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I love it.
0: But uh, talk to me about how did you know? How did you know God was going to call you to missions? Because I don't remember having this conversation when we were in seminary. I don't re- recall you telling me that that's what you were going to do. Now you you and I both were at a different time in our lives and I understand that. But I knew you were fasting, you were praying, you were way more committed than I was, quite frankly. But what was what was was there a moment? Or, or what?
1: Yeah, so actually there was. Um, my whole life, okay, the very first missionary I ever remember hearing was a missionary by the name of Sam Balsa. Mm-hmm. Sam Balsa came to the church. My, my dad was deployed overseas, and so we were living up in the Pacific Northwest. And Sam Balsa came to our church, and he shared that the Soviet Union had collapsed and we need missionaries in the former Soviet Union. And I remember hearing this, And thinking to myself, as I was probably three or four years old. Mm -hmm. I wasn't very old. But I remember thinking, wow, someday when I grow up, I want to pastor a church and support this guy. Yeah. (laughs) I want to grow up, and I want to have my church raise a lot of money so we can send missionaries there. Yeah. That would be amazing.
0: Yeah.
1: And... I always just knew that I was supposed to be in ministry and mm-hmm. pastor. I felt the call of God from a very, very young age. Same, and and so I knew that. But but I was at a uh, I was 15 years old, and I was at a prayer meeting that our our youth group in Dallas, Texas. Uh, they were having a uh, an off night, just a prayer meeting, and I was there, I was praying and just spending some time with the Lord with the youth group and. And I, I, I'll never forget, I could take you to the exact place I was standing when it was like a bolt of lightning shot through me as God spoke to me and said, I've called you to reach the nations. And it was undeniable what I heard and what I felt. And in fact, I kind of looked around to see like anybody else like, yeah. is anybody feeling this? Like, this is incredible. This is amazing. And uh, no, they were... They were not. <laughs> just be honest with you. It was just me, and and immediately I begin to try to rationalize that to make it fit with mm-hmm. everything that I knew about my life and my my upbringing and and my level of commitment to God. And I said, "Okay, well, you know, I understand, and praise God, I'm in the Dallas-Fort Worth metro area, mm-hmm. and and there's all kinds of nationalities here, and this is amazing, and." And I'm just right where God's called me to be, mm-hmm. to reach all nations. <laughs> and it was like the the, the Holy Ghost just kind of thumped me in the back of the head. And, and God talks to me just real, real <laughs> plain. Sometimes you got to be real direct to get my attention. He said, you know, no, I, I've called you to reach other nations in those nations. Yeah. And I never considered that maybe God had called me to work overseas. Mm-hmm. I, I just I thought that I would do something for God in North America mm-hmm. and and so I, my sister she grew up and, and my older sister she she felt that God called her to do missions and she was always really excited about that but me no, I never mm-hmm. never even had the idea to do it Yeah. and then I began uh, uh, within a couple of weeks I had a, a, a country report that was due yeah, for, for school and and I started researching. Uh, it was a, a an Islamic country in North Africa. And by the time I was done, I think it was maybe five pages that was required or ten or something like that. I ended up submitting uh, almost 40 pages. Wow. You Yeah.
0: <laughs> oh, I already knew. Trust me. Oh. <laughs> I just,
1: once I got started, I just, I was so fascinated with it. Yeah. And, and I've never been to that country, even yeah. still to this day. It, uh, but... But I started looking into these areas, started, you know, okay, now what's next? I still didn't really have like a specific area. I didn't know. I just, mm-hmm. I just knew God called me to the nations. And, and so then I'm waiting for a door to open. And, and I'm going to share this too, that this has been something that has helped me a lot. There's two things that I need before I move. I need a word from God and I need an open door. If I have a word from God, but I have no open door, I'm in this situation like David when he's anointed king.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: He's anointed king, but mm-hmm. he's not going to be king for a while still. Yeah. But if he takes that word from God and tries to run with that to make it happen by himself, you situation with, you see, with Abraham. Mm-hmm. He, he said, well, let me, let
0: me, let me try uh, it my I, way. I've
1: got a word from God, so let, let me help God out and just make this happen. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work. You need a word from God, and an open door. In other cases, you have an open door. But you don't have a word from God.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Now this is very evident with the story of Noah.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: In Genesis chapter 8, it says, when the Ark comes to rest, Noah removes the covering, it opens the door to the Ark. Mm-hmm. And it says that this happened, the Ark came to rest on the first day of the first month. The very next verse says, On the twenty-seventh day of the second month, mm-hmm. God speaks to Noah and says, Take your family and go out of the ark. Mm-hmm. For nearly two months, that Joker sitting there looking at an open door. Yeah. And I have to believe his family is, you know. We want out of here. How about today? Yeah. Can we get off this boat? I mean, the Bible says Noah, when he first opens the door, it's dry land. Yeah. But the last word that Noah got was to get on that boat. And he wasn't leaving until he got yeah. another word that said, oh, now God, it's yes. time to get off.
0: Yes. It's what saved you.
1: And and he wasn't about to Mm-mm. use his own eye. We we mm-hmm. walk by faith, not by sight. That's he's right. looking at dry land, but he's waiting for a word. He literally has an open door in front of him, mm-hmm. but he has no word from God yet. Yeah. When you have a word and you have an open door, then you end up like Peter coming out of prison in Acts twelve. Mm-hmm. Word of God comes to him and said, Hey, get up, get dressed, get yourself ready. Now start moving. Mm-hmm. As he starts walking, a door opens. Mm-hmm. He continues walking. The next door opens. Mm-hmm. He doesn't sit there in his chains and say, well, I'm going to wait until I see every door open all the way down at the end. Yeah. He's obedient to the word. He starts moving, takes a step of faith, and the door opens. Mm-hmm. And so when when I began to seek the will of God and the plan of God, and how does how, this work for me? I had a word from God,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but I didn't really understand where the open door was. Right. And then essentially what happened, make a long story um, shorter, I suppose. <laughs> uh, what ended up happening was when, when my wife and I, um, it was about three weeks before our wedding, her dad had contacted me and said, Hey, I want to start a Russian speaking church mm-hmm. in, in California, in North California. And I'd like for you and my daughter to move to California from Texas and, and help start this church. And I told him, I said, no, I said, uh, I'm not going to do that. I said, my pastor, I, I know my pastor, and the way he teaches and preaches, and I agree with it. The first year after you're married, learn how to hang the curtains together before yeah. you start trying to start churches and do ministry. Right <laughs> yeah. Just just relax, you know? It, yeah. you'll, you'll be, it'll be okay. <laughs> and he said, well, will you talk to your pastor? I said, okay, fine. About three weeks before the wedding, I talked to him, and he, he kind of stops and he looks at me and says, I'll never forget this. After church on a Sunday night, Like, hey, Pastor, I know how you already answered this question. I know how you feel about this, but I promised I'd go ahead and ask. So are you okay? Would you be okay if if my fiancé and I, after we get married, if we leave Texas and go to California to start a Russian-speaking church? And he stops, kind of gets this funny look on his face, and (laughs) kind of tilts his head to the side, and he goes, you know what? I really feel like you need to do that. (laughs) Thanks, Pastor. Wow. That was not in. That was not the plan. Yeah, Yeah,
0: that wasn't in the cards for you. That wasn't my plan. Yeah,
2: I had already moved to Texas. Yeah, I already moved all my
1: stuff. Oh wow, we were we're ready to set up a life in Texas, and we're ready to do the will of God and work in the local church and be submitted to the pastor and do it. And he says, "You know, I really feel like you should do that." Now all of a sudden, yeah, buddy, I left there and I hit my knees. I said, "God, (laughs) what do I do?" I didn't think he was going to say yes. I yeah. thought it was a pretty safe. I mean, I don't even have to pray about this, yeah. okay? You know, I know what pastor's going to say, and yeah. then here God speaks something to to my bishop and said, "Hey, hey, you, you, you ought to
0: yeah kick him out."
1: Oh. Ah, yeah. and uh, that was so. I, I I prayed and I said, "Okay, God, if this is the door that you are opening, then I'm not going to question it. I'm going to walk through it because mm-hmm. I, I have a word from God." Yeah, we were there for nearly two years. Mm-hmm. before we left and moved to Russia and we started working in the former Soviet Union. and all during that time we began to see God open one door after another after another. and we just continued to walk through it because we had that word from God.
0: Yeah. I think about you were talking about Peter, very often God works in stages like that, you know one door then the next. It's And it's all about trusting him in that moment. It's like you, you you don't always, in fact, very seldom do we get all the information at once. I remember uh, a guy telling me, he said, if God revealed all of his plans to you at one time, you would tell him no. Because there's too much pain involved. But he knows you can go there. You can be put through it. I wouldn't trust you with it if if I didn't know it would succeed. But you would say, I can't do that if he showed it to you all at once. And so, and if you
1: had told me when I was 15 years old, that I'm going to be working in closed countries, Mm -hmm. that I'm not going to be able to carry a Bible. Yeah. Everything that I know has to be committed to memory that I'm going to have to share with them. I don't get to carry my seminary notes. I don't get to have books. I don't get to have, I don't get to do any of that, but then I'm going to go into areas where you shouldn't go. Yeah. And I, we don't even have time for me to go into the stories of God protecting me, even in my ignorance. Yeah. <laughs> so often for me. And, and, and yet, and yet God guiding and protecting and keeping his hand on me. And if you had told me that when mm. I was 15 years old, I'd have said, man, you're crazy.
0: Yeah. Get away with that.
1: That is, that's not, that's not for me. Yeah. That's for somebody else. Yeah. But to see how God, I truly believe Psalm 37, the steps of a good man mm-hmm. are ordered by the Lord. Yeah. And he delights in his way. Mm-hmm. Earlier in that Psalm, it says, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Mm-hmm. Well, what I think what a lot of times we miss, we say, well, I want the desires of my heart, Lord. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, but if you delight yourself in mm-hmm. the Lord, your desires begin to change.
0: That's exactly right. He gives you new desires.
1: And then, because you're delighting yourself in the Lord, what what delights Him delights you. Absolutely. What makes Him happy starts to make you happy. What makes Him sad makes you sad. That's what I was preaching about Wednesday night. What grieves Him mm-hmm. begins to grieve me. Yeah. And then He begins to give me the desires of my heart, but the heart is deceitful above all things yeah. and desperately wicked. Who can know? I don't even know what my heart wants. Mm-hmm. you ask me at 15 years old. What does your heart desire? Yeah. I could tell you what I thought at 15. <laughs> but that, that what I thought I wanted wasn't really what I wanted. Right. Certainly not what I needed. Yeah. And so to see God step by step order mm-hmm. our steps. And even though the, the, the very next verse there, he says, after he says, the steps of good man are ordered by the Lord and delights in his way. Even though he falls. Mm-hmm. He's not utterly cast down. Mm-hmm. Why? Because the Lord upholds him. Mm-hmm. And so it's not been a perfect road. Mm-hmm. It's not been smooth sailing. There have been a lot of stumbles and, and falls and, and, and men, all kinds of things that have happened along the way.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: But through all of that, God has held us up in his hands. Yeah. And he's guided us and protected us. And I, I don't believe he's done.
0: No, absolutely not. I don't believe that for a second. Hmm. No, I, I believe you guys are on the verge of something big. I mean, you and I talked about it uh, briefly already, but I feel like things are going to happen, and and I can't wait to see it. Quite honestly, I, you know, and the Lord knows if I had half a chance, I'd be over there with you guys right now for a few weeks at least, uh, because I'm just so excited about what God is going to do. About it. Pray about it. I am. Trust me. Pray about it. I am. Because, I, you know, I just feel like things are quickening. Yeah. You know, things are starting to move at a much faster pace. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, is, that's indicative of things in the spirit world that if you, if you set it on a, a medium like this, people wouldn't even understand mm-hmm. because it takes spiritual insight to see. And I believe we are, we're fast approaching the return of Christ. You know, I wouldn't give you a time frame for all the money in the world, but I believe you and I We'll probably get to see it.
1: And I want to say this, because I mentioned this, I've I've mentioned it a number of times, but I mentioned it last night when I was speaking to a group here uh, in Louisiana. I absolutely believe, from what the Lord has showed me Mm -hmm. and from what I read in Scripture, that this last end-time harvest of souls that's coming up is from a revelation of the name of Jesus.
0: Oh, yes, absolutely.
1: And I don't care what organization they belong to, what denomination, what religion. I, I can't tell you how many people from major religion, other religions, I've seen that have had this, where Jesus revealed Himself. Yes, I've had close to a dozen ministers in North America since we've been traveling that has told me that various churches in their towns and their in their cities, pastors have come to them mm-hmm. and said. Jesus has revealed himself to me. Mm -hmm. That he is the mighty God in Christ. That he is God manifest in the flesh. That the name of God is Jesus. And so many of them say, well, I I don't even know what to do with that. But we know what to do. Mm -hmm. And to see as God is bringing... God is, God is strategically positioning the church. And by the church, I mean the individuals that make up the body of Christ. We collectively become the church. Mm-hmm. But God is positioning the church. COVID has taught us church is not a building.
0: No, it's absolutely not. I agree with that. In
1: case anybody missed that memo before COVID. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you and get it now. Did. The church is not the, build, uh, the The building is not the church. The church. church is the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. And wherever two or three are gathered together in his name, he's there. Mm -hmm. And God is positioning his bride, his church, to receive this great influx of of harvest Mm -hmm. of souls that are coming into the kingdom of God. And God is showing himself to these people. I, I, I challenge, and in fact, I'm going to challenge your listeners here to pray like we've never prayed before. Pray until blinded eyes are open. Yeah. Pray until. The scripture says in Corinthians, Paul, Paul tells the church in Corinth, the God of this world has blinded people's eyes. Mm-hmm. They can't see the light of the gospel. Pray until those scales fall off. Mm-hmm. You don't have to do this of your own ability. No. You pray until God opens the blinded eyes and then present the gospel yeah. to these people. And watch. Watch what God's going to do. He's going to absolutely astound us and blow our minds.
0: I believe that, and I accept that because I, I, it's plainly stated in the Word of God. And so I have to accept it, you know, and, and apply that to myself. We're quickly coming to a close here. Um, I don't want to take up too much of y'all's valuable time. Uh, one thing I do want to say, you were talking about this influx of souls. The, the body has to be healthy to give birth. And the church, at least until COVID, I think had become so anemic, you know, with with different issues and, and divisions and this, that, and the other. I think our focus for the, at least the next year needs to be on unity. And, you know, forget about the petty things. And, it, and we need to reunite on the one thing that we know to be true. And that is the word of God. The gospel has to be preached. And we need to get healthy. We need to get to a place where everyone has their own relationship with God and our focus is all in, in, on Him, mm-hmm. entirely on Him. Forget about who's who and what's what. Just know that Jesus is still King and we, we have got to get in line with His service and center everything around Him. And I, I, we've got to get there. We have to get there.
1: If the church will mobilize and begin to exercise mm-hmm. exercise faith, exercise authority. The problem is here we go. The problem with so much of especially in North America, we have everything. Right. We have some Two of the of best preachers sometimes. in the entire in, in the entire world coming out of North America. We have some of the greatest orators and speakers and and, and, and people that can just that, that can wow a crowd. We have some of the most anointed and anointed and godly preachers and singers, musicians. We have everything, and if we're not careful, the church gets into this mode of just feed me, yeah, feed me, give mm-hmm. me something better than I had yesterday, yeah. And then what? What the result of if you if all you do is sit down and eat, mm-hmm. you get fat. That's right. But if you'll get up and you'll mobilize, you'll start to exercise the authority that God has given. To the church. Mm -hmm. Start to use the gifts that God has put within you and within the church. You're not going to be spiritually fat. No. Those excess calories come into play because you're exerting more and you're doing more. But if we're not careful as a church, we'll fall asleep and fall into a state of lethargy Mm -hmm. and apathy. Mm hmm. Because we're we have everything, mm-hmm. but it's not time for us to just sit and be fed. That's right. It's time for us to take what we've been fed and take it to the world.
0: Absolutely, it's he,
2: time to sorry. No, um, to actually be apostolic.
0: To Absolutely. Be op-
2: um, we think apostolic is the way we shout or dance or the clothing. Like we're apostolic. That's not apostolic. Mm-hmm. To look biblically, what what is apostolic? You know, they went from house to house. Mm-hmm. How many of us now open our homes and have Bible studies, and go from house to house? And I mean, we're we're not going to have all things coming in these days. But right. what is apostolic? It is not our Western idea of Mm-mm. a beautiful building or a, a conference where we shouted and danced, and that was a truly apostolic conference. Being truly apostolic is be having your home open. To to those who need, who can't maybe come to church, but they can come to your home, they can Mm -hmm. sit at your table. Yes. um, They can be loved by you, they can be taught by you at your table before you even ever bring them to church.
0: Absolutely. Bringing
2: them to church would be here's the rest of the body, here's the rest of the family to meet. Yes. Instead of that's your first step.
0: Absolutely. That is so beautiful to me. But, and I've, God has been dealing with me specifically about that over the last few weeks. In fact, I've had conversations with a few of my evangelist friends. And one of them told me, he said, I asked him, I said, what does a personal evangelism mean to you? And he said, I wish people would quit thinking of it as an event. Start mm-hmm. thinking of it as a lifestyle. Yes. You know, it's a daily thing. Yeah. And going back to daily breaking bread. Yes. You know, and, and opening up, quit being afraid of small groups. We're yeah. not going to create fractured mm-hmm. churches. You're going to create a larger body. Yes. Which is what Christ is all about, in my opinion. Yes. I'm going to ask you all to do something kind of weird. Uh, I would like for you to pray in English to release us, and I would like you to pray in one of the other multiple languages <laughs> you speak, whichever it is, uh, because I don't know who this is going to reach,
4: mm-hmm.
0: and I want anybody to be able to, you know, to have access to this. Uh, blessing that I want you guys to pray over my audience today. Uh, so whatever you say and whatever you say, I'm going to turn it over to you guys. I want you to pray over our audience tonight, though, and uh, impart something to their spirit.
1: Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity you've given us to come together to share about your goodness, about the greatness of our God. Mm. I pray right now, that you would reach into the hearts and minds of your children. That those listening would not just be inspired by some stories of things that you've done. Mm-hmm. But that something would be activated in their spirit. Yes, that they would say, I've got to do something for this Jesus who gave everything because he loves me. I've got to reach my neighbor. I've got to reach my friends. I've got to share the light of this glorious gospel with anybody and everybody who would be willing to hear. Lord, I pray that something would awaken yes, your Lord. church, your church around the world and that my something Lord. would get down deep into our spirits, that there would be a, this, this, this fire that would begin to burn a passion for souls that we would love the way that you love that we would care the way that you care and that Lord, it wouldn't be any kind of a, a competition Right. it wouldn't be any kind of a, a an event but that this would become our daily life right. that you would make us into the children of God that you desire us to be And Lord, as you're dealing with the hearts and minds of people, I pray that you would solidify a call deep down in their hearts and in their spirits and give us the courage to answer the call wherever that may be, whatever that may be. Give us your heart. Yes. Give us your eyes. Give us your words to speak. And we will not fail to give you all of the honor, the glory, and the praise. in In Jesus' name.
2: Твоя церковь, Господь, Твой огонь, Господь, пускай идет по всей земле, огонь от Твоего Евангелия, Господь, Твое спасение через Твое имя, имя Иисуса Христа. Пусть пройдет в каждое сердце, Господь, Ты сказал, что в последние дни Ты изольешь дух на каждый плоть, что наши сыновья и наши дочери они будут, будут проповедовать, что они...
0: Wow. I cannot explain what I feel, but I like it. And I pray you, the listener, feel the same. And that you feel the heart of a missionary today and that you understand what drives us and why we want you to know who he is because he's everything to us I, I, I'm just scared to think where I'd be without him I just know it wouldn't be a good story but every story can be a great story if we turn our lives over to God thank you so much for listening thank my guests who have been wonderful I'm just honored to have been sitting across from y'all for nearly two hours now. But thank you for your time. Thank you for listening. This has been great Stories. I have been your host, Dustin Midkiff, coming to you live from Leesville First United Pentecostal Church in Leesville, Louisiana. May God richly bless you. Amen.